Hola. Bienvenidos and welcome to the Latino Card. I'm JJ Saldana and I'm Rebecca De Leon and we are recording today out of the Radio Boise studios and we have a very special guest as usual but our special guest today is Jennifer Martinez. Welcome Jennifer. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're really excited to have you. We're going to have a really cool discussion because you have a lot of areas of expertise, <laughs> but one that stands out really in particular, um, and that is your background and your passion for politics and specifically Latinos in politics. And so we're going to dive right into we're that We're going to find out who is Jennifer Martinez. Oh my goodness. Are you ready? <laughs> wow. I'm not sure if we're ready. Hold on. <laughs> Let me put my seatbelt on. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. All right. So, Jennifer, mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about just who you are. Where did you come from? Why are you here? How'd you get here? <laughs> yeah, all the things. I get asked. We're glad you're here, by the way. No, thank you. No, I, I get that. She got here by scooter, by <laughs> the way. I got scooter today. I was running a little late. Um, so, my name's Jennifer Martinez. I um, am a first-generation Idahoan. Uh, my parents came here as undocumented immigrants initially from Yuriria, Guanajuato, Mexico. Wow. And I was born in Jerome, Idaho, um, in the Great Magic Valleys. And I was one of those um, young people who, as soon as I turned 18, kind of just wanted to get out of the state, to be mm -hmm. quite honest. Mm -hmm. um, and so I did. I, um, I left Idaho and I went to Spokane, Washington, um, where I attended Gonzaga University and graduated from there in 2009. Um, with a degree in political science, uh, because I'm a nerd and I've always loved politics and I've always followed it. We're all nerds here. Um, We're proud nerds. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, I claim it with honor now. And, and I minored in Latin American studies too, because I've always been really, um, intrigued and interested and curious about not just my heritage, but, um, Latino America in general, right? Um, because I grew up with so many, folks who had immigrated around the same time from similar parts of Mexico um, with very similar stories. So I know my story is not unique, but it's a story we don't hear often, especially in politics. How many Latinos were in your school when you were going um, to Wendell? And man, so I graduated with like 56 students in my class. And I would say at that time, about a third were Latinos, um, oh. which has grown exponentially um, since then. I, when I most recently went back, I was surprised at the ratio and how much it had flipped to being like mainly Latinos, wow. um, which I'm not surprised, um, but also to me means we have a lot more power than we know. A um, lot of these smaller towns, rural towns, if it wasn't for the Latino population, would not have seen any growth. No, yeah, the growth is completely because of our community. And again, I say this a lot on our podcast, but our population, the Latino population here is a young population. So totally. the schools are definitely seeing it. Yeah, 100%, right? Um, and I'm one of the oldest of the grandchildren, right, that were oh. born here. So I've had um, so many of my cousins have gone through the school system in Wendell um, after me. And I think there's still one left who needs to graduate um, from Wendell. So, um, so they're yeah, all graduating, right? They're all, gra yeah, so they're all graduating. Cool. They're all, yeah, my family made sure of that. <laughs> so <laughs> I um, had to make the move back to Idaho in 2011 because the harmful education laws that Superintendent Tom Luna had passed at the time were in the news a lot. Spokane's right on the border with Idaho. I kept hearing about all this stuff happening and I still had like my cousins and my family here and there was a lot of like um, just just hearing all the stories that my parents would tell me too. I was like, okay, like I can't be that person who complains about my home and leaves 
and continues to complain about it without going back and doing the work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided to move back in 2011 and I did um, made the move in the middle of winter, December, so that I could start working at the legislature in 2012. I think um, that's when I met you, Matt Erpel. Er- have we messed up his name? Erpelding. Yeah. Introduced us way back. I think you were working with something with him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we were at Thomas Hammer, and he's like, it was. "Hey, there's somebody I really want you to meet." And it was you. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's what I was telling Rebecca. I'm like, the first time we met was um, through Matt, uh, now um, House Minority Leader right. Representative Matt uh, Erpelding. And um, I met him when I was first started at working at the legislature. So I was a legislative attache for the House Minority Caucus. Um, and then I worked for Matt right after that because that's when he ran for office for mm-hmm. the first time. Um, and I was his campaign manager through the primary, um, which he won in a three-way race in District 19. Like, that's the race, right? So um, that was nice. my first dive into being more in electoral politics. And that was really exciting. Um, I'd already been involved in party politics in Washington throughout college because I Again, was a huge nerd and I was like I want to be in it um, and then after that campaign I actually worked in this building we're in right now but on the second floor for the vote no on propositions one two and three campaign which was the campaign to um, the initiative campaign to have the voters decide whether or not they wanted to repeal or to keep the three harmful education laws that had passed and we overwhelmingly won that election as well um, I think 43 out of the 44 counties voted to overturn those laws wow, um, so that was really awesome yeah. great experience on that campaign um, came back again to the legislature as chief of staff for the House Minority Caucus and then after that I worked for the State Democratic Party for about two and a half years um, and then from there decided to make the move to um, social justice community organizing more you get a little burnt out when you're doing politics and jumping from campaign to campaign, campaign. Um, and also when you're seeing not a lot of people who look like you it can get a little draining uh, but in 2016 um, got again another kind of call from someone um, who's a mentor to me who asked if I'd be interested in working on a presidential campaign in Idaho and I was like well who which candidate, <laughs> obviously, right? <laughs> uh, it kind of depends. Um, and it was for um, Hillary Clinton. They were looking for someone to be on the ground in Idaho to kind of get the campaign started here. Um, and I was like, well, yes, of course, I'd be happy to do that. So I applied and became the first on the ground um, field organizer for the campaign for Idaho. And as folks were coming in from other states who were ending their primaries or their caucuses, like Nevada, New Hampshire, and other states, they were coming in here never having visited Idaho so I just kind of gave them the lay of the land. Um, I'm glad they came because I think a lot of times people just jump over Idaho. They do, yeah. Um, and they were intrigued by the state. Like, they didn't know what to expect. They thought it was beautiful. They were like, oh, my gosh, there's Democrats here. And I was like, yeah, that's a bad joke. There's a lot of us here. <laughs> there's a lot of progressives in the state. Um, there's a lot of brown people in the state. And you just, y'all don't pay attention. So maybe now you can take this message back to wherever you go and can help us get support here. Um, and so once I finished the Hillary, not even before I finished the Hillary campaign, I had to leave the campaign because I was asked to run for Congress um, in the second congressional district in 2016. I was asked to run like 48 hours before the filing deadline oh, wow. because no one wanted to run against Congressman Mike Simpson. And so I was working like from eight in the morning until like 11 at night those days <laughs> during the campaign. So I would go home talk to my partner Joe about it and then I would get on phone calls with some of the party leaders because I had questions I didn't sleep it was a pretty exhausting time um decided to file uh the last day at three o'clock in the afternoon went down to the secretary of state's office um because I couldn't get signatures I had to pay the three hundred dollars to file um and I did 
I filed to run and (laughs) I had to leave the Hillary Clinton campaign because I couldn't do both at the same time and um, did that for 2016 while working to part-time jobs and planning a wedding at the same time. (laughs) Your own wedding. (laughs) My own wedding, planning my wedding at the time. I went into it knowing, like totally wide-eyed, knowing that um, Congressman Simpson is very difficult to run against, but knowing that I had to provide at least an option and a voice for um, the other side, um, for a more progressive view, for a viewpoint from someone who's a millennial, a first-gen Idahoan, um, who has a very different experience from from um, Congressman Simpson. Um, but that was an amazing experience overall. And then from there, I've been working since then with the uh, Idaho Coalition Against Sexual and Domestic Violence as my actual job. Um, still do politics on the side because apparently I don't think I need sleep to survive, um, but that will catch up to me. Um, Sleep's overrated. Sleep is so overrated, right? Well, in the state of things, I'm like, how can I sleep when the world's burning down? But <laughs> in the midst of my work with the coalition, I've taken some time um, away, like in my spare time or taken time off to, um, I managed um, city council member Lisa Sanchez's campaign for city council, first Latina elected to the city council here in Boise. And that was an amazing experience overall. Very impressive. Very happy that we were able to do that. And I think it just signaled a change that people are wanting in, in, in Boise specifically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and how sad that it took us until 2016 to have exactly. that happen. Um, 2017, excuse me. And then um, in 2018, I left uh, my work for a period of a couple months um, to work for a gubernatorial candidate, um, Paula Jordan, during the primary, um, and then left that and went back to the coalition. And that's kind of where I've been. So right now I just more give people advice, consult um, if they need someone to bounce ideas off of. Like, I, I am that person for them. Um, also actively always trying to recruit our people to run for <laughs> office. Um, there's a lot of pushback on that, but I just think that you have to ask people um, because they're not getting asked right now to run for office. And I think that especially with women in particular and women of color, you have to ask them so many more times to run. And so every time I see Rebecca, <laughs> every time I see anyone, I'm like, when are y'all going to run Mayor for office? Rebecca sounds kind of cool. <laughs> you know, city council, whatever, JJ, whatever. Um, but I, I'm the person that kind of everyone avoids at some point because I'm always going to ask you when you're when you're planning to run for office because that might be the first Were time you you've been asked. political, like in high school? Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like the brown Leslie Nope. A little, uh, and I'll take that as a compliment. It um, is. Yeah. Who doesn't Leslie, Leslie Nope is nope. like the white Jennifer <laughs> Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, um, my first political memory is the Bill Clinton presidential campaign in 1992, and I was five. Um, and I remember watching the debates with my dad because my dad's very involved. Like he just likes watching it mm-hmm. and learning more about that type of stuff. So I remember sitting with him watching and like Ross Perot's on the stage. And I was like <laughs> not liking him. And I'm five, right? I'm like, I just don't like you um, for no particular <laughs> oh reason. But um, I remember that that was my first like memory of watching politics or electoral elections happen. Um, but through high school, I mean, I was in high school when 9-11 happened. Um I was in high school when, um, you know, George Bush um, Jr., the second, yeah, whatever. George W. George W., um, when George W. was reelected um, and all of the controversy around that going into Iraq. A lot of my classmates were joining the military because they wanted to be patriotic because we were being told mm-hmm. all these things, right? Um, getting into debates with my history teacher because oh, they were praising the president. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, you're not supposed <laughs> to tell us your political opinions. And like, <laughs> like, so 
Yeah, I was that person who everyone's like, oh, my gosh. And I was talking about, <laughs> you know, he was a senator at the time, but Senator Obama, because he had given this huge DNC speech in 2004. And I was like, I love him. <laughs> like, oh, my, oh my gosh. gosh. I think that's you loved him before it was <laughs> cool. Of yeah. speeches, that's when I think I fell in love with Castro when he gave his speech at the yeah. DNC. Yeah, yeah. But so I just imagine like a little Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it wasn't easy to access, right? Like internet was hard back so then. So how did so. you decide though at, at an early age that you're going to lean one way or the other? Um, were your parents influential in that or was it all you? I think my parents were influential. Um, my par- my dad couldn't vote until 1999. That's when he became, um, I think it was 99, a U.S. citizen. Um, and so that's when he actually could go vote, but he'd been paying attention to everything since then. Um, and he always voted for Democrats because they were the ones who were always supporting the issues that were impacting our family directly. Um, and so that definitely had an influence on me. But the more that I took time to figure out like what I cared about and the issues that were impacting me and the people I love, the more I realized that I was a Democrat. But even now, I think I'm even more progressive than some of that, the, the, the party, um, values that we hold here. Um, not to say that that's a bad thing, but I think I just see that, um, humanity is more important than party politics necessarily. So I'm, I'm waiting for the parties to kind of catch up with, with that. Do you think you see a lot of like any kind of that being race related? Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I always saw more of our people or people of color involved with the Democratic Party versus the Republican Party. So that definitely had an influence. And when it came to issues around immigration, um, even though in the past, you know, both parties have kind of been sympathetic to um, immigration issues, you know, it was Ronald Reagan, who President Reagan, who passed um, amnesty. amnesty in 1986. And that's the reason that my parents were able to obtain legal residency and a green card, which eventually led to their oh. citizenship. I'm grateful for that. But that's not the Republican Party we're seeing anymore. Yeah. Um, it's turned into a completely uh, racist, xenophobic, like fearful of anything that is unknown. Um party and so i just can't align with that anymore um and i also feel like democrats need to lean into that a little bit more too i feel like they're afraid to talk about it for fear of isolating moderates but they're not going to vote for us anyway so why not lean into the thing that we're already being called right so yeah race definitely had a huge factor to play into where i ended up leaning uh politically so tell us a little bit about that um when you ran for congress what was that like why did you do it um because I hear a lot of people say that's when you find out who your f- real friends are. Yeah, 100 <laughs> percent. Yeah. Um, I think I decided to run because I was asked to run. It wasn't something I was thinking about doing for myself at the time. I was super focused on working for Hillary Clinton. And I was like, once the caucus is over here, I'll follow the campaign wherever they send me and get experience. And then I can bring that back to Idaho. Right. Um, but when I got the call and was asked, I was pretty flabbergasted because i was like (laughs) right okay like you who do you need me to connect you with so that you can ask them to run and they're like no like we're asking you and i was like i have no money you realize this like i have no money i'm working like i am i was 29 at the time how much does it cost to run for congress oh my gosh if you want to run just a file was you either had to get like enough signatures or pay the money but because they asked me at such short notice i couldn't Mm -hmm. get enough signatures um so i had to pay they should have paid if they asked 
you uh, you know no comment but <laughs> um but that's I, a good you know, political that's answer like, that's like yes i've been trained well um since she's been five she's been political <laughs> yeah um but i decided to run because there was no one else to run like mm-hmm. and no one else wanted to take up the challenge of running against at the time i believe he had been in office for 18 years um Jeez. which for me is that's like you know almost two-thirds of my life you know at the time mm-hmm. and i was like that's just it is wrong to not have an option for people to vote for, mm-hmm. you know, against someone who's been in there for such a long time. Um, and I also knew it was going to be difficult because a lot of um, Democrats really like Mike Simpson because to them, he's the most moderate out of the four True. people in federal office we have. And for me, the answer is like, well, that's because the bar is so low. Yeah. That looks really good. Um, mm-hmm. But we actually need people who are willing to go to bat for not just us, but for Idahoans in general, right? Mm-hmm. For people who live in our state, regardless of legal status, regardless of age, regardless of whatever identifier you want. Um, and we currently don't have that. We have people who are willing to go to bat for special interests, um, which is super unfortunate. And so that's why I decided to run was to be an option. Um, I was very candid about like, I cannot run a full time campaign. Like I don't have money in savings accounts. I don't have a wealthy family that can support me through this. So I have to work and make money and I'm like getting married, you know, so um, mm-hmm. I, I literally don't have the time to invest in this that I like I would like to, but I'm willing to be that person to hold the flag for the party. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were super cool with that. And the other thing I said was like, and I'm not going to back down on immigration. Like I'm going to talk about this. It's an issue. We have people like Trump running for office like I'm not gonna not talk about this thing that has shaped every part of my life Mm -hmm. um, and is literally the reason that I'm here right now Um, and they were like yeah that's cool Um, (laughs) not you know okie dokes Um, so they were okay with that so I decided to run it was a great experience for me because it allowed me to know what I want to do when I actually run for real Mm. Um, I know what it takes to run a campaign I also know like what state of mind um, and state of like life I need to be in to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I have a lot more. Um, I feel like once you hit your thirties, you just don't deal with any of like the BS anymore. You're just like, I'm going to do what I need to do. And I don't care what you think. And that's I was, true. and I, I always thought that as soon as I hit thirties, I'm like, I don't care what other people I think. I don't care. In your twenties, right? that's what you're worried about. But yeah. once you hit 30, yeah. Yeah. And I Practical. wish like I was like 31 when they had asked me to run because I feel like my, the way I would have handled some situations would have been completely different. Mm. Um, and so it was a great experience. I learned a lot. I got to connect with a lot of people across Southern Idaho. I mean, that's my stomping grounds. I grew up there, but to connect with them in a different way. And I think for me, one of the most, amazing moments that have come out of that is young Latina woman coming up to me and being excited to see someone who looks like them, who came from the same place that they came from, who has a similar story to them, who is doing this thing that seemed unattainable. Um, and for me, that was totally 100% worth it. Like knowing that I was going to lose because I knew that going in, mm-hmm. um, it was worth it for me to inspire potentially our future Congress people who are going to run for office and win um, and represent the communities in Idaho. So talking uh-huh. like earlier, I mentioned our population yeah. and so being so young. So I'm, I think that the, a lot of, I see a lot of young leaders when I'm going to traveling, look at visiting schools. Mm-hmm. I think that's who we're going to start seeing running for office mm-hmm. and leading our state. Um, cause we've talked about this earlier, broad, um, podcast about, you know, I think a lot of these younger folks are seeing, like you said, how these, um, 
current um, legislators, senators, whatever, are treating their parents and grandparents. Mm -hmm. And they're going to remember that when they're now in 10 years when they're of age to vote and to do all this. So I think there's going to be a shift. And that's what do you think? Do you think there'll be a shift in like 10 years here in Idaho? I think there could be a shift now. Um, That's one of the reasons why when I talk to people or I meet people, the reason I ask them to run for office is it plants a seed in their head of like, oh, that is a thing I can do. Or that is a thing that I can support or that is a system I can get involved in. Because when you don't see yourself in leadership or you don't see yourself in people in office, like it's not an option you think you have. And that's why another reason I always bring it up. Um, And I know that the system is dysfunctional in so many ways, but it's the system we have right now. We have to do what we can within it to lessen the harm. Um, And so, yeah, I think that we could see it now if and if resources were directed there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that for sure in 10 years, we're going to see some major um, differences in who we see running and who we see kind of um, stepping up to the plate to to take on these incumbents who have been there their whole lives, honestly. Because in our travels, I'm seeing in our travels when I'm visiting different schools, I'm seeing, you know, Latinx folks all in student council, their Mm -hmm. presidents, their vice presidents, more than when I was a kid. So it's kind of cool to see that right now. And they're very passionate and they're really woke. I feel so hipster saying that. But um, one of our last town hall meetings, we asked the adults like you know are there any issues you guys want to bring up and they were very timid but but then the kids were like oh no there are issues this immigration thing happened mm-hmm. here there's this and they were the ones that were speaking out more yeah. um than the adults and it was gratifying to see because to see that they're not scared to speak up mm-hmm. and that they're already pushing the envelope and a lot of stuff yeah that's well, really encouraging mm-hmm. to to see and we say i think we've said it so many times already on this podcast is you can't be what you can't see we say exactly. that all the time mm-hmm. and so i think a lot of Latinos and Latinas in the community, they understand that. They un- they know. So I think that's wonderful that you ran for freaking Congress and your your whole um I think it's 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 great that you kind of took that upon yourself with the mentality of like I'm doing this not just for me, but for my community. It's and honestly model. yeah, and honestly because you understood you can't be what you can't see. Representation and, matters. Yeah, and it really does Hugely. matter. Yeah. And so and if you don't mind, mm-hmm. I noticed that uh, when you were describing your initial reaction when they asked you to run, mm-hmm. it sounded so much like imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And so you are saying that you, you know, you had mentioned a little earlier that when mm-hmm. you ask people of color to run, you have to ask them several times. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it like to be a Latino in politics? Do we have imposter syndrome? 100 <laughs> percent. It's so impossible to not feel that right. Um, when when there's not enough of you or even people who are uh, maybe not the same exact identity, but other um, diverse identities in office, especially in our state. Right. Um, when we have such a history of white supremacy in Idaho and that is like what we're known for nationally potatoes and white supremacy like awesome <laughs> um, you know um, people always question whether or not we have diversity in the state and it's because we don't have that in leadership we don't have that visibly as anyone who is representing the state and it's really unfortunate I mean we have Senator Sheree Buckner Webb um, the first you know uh, black woman elected to the House of Representatives and then to the Senate um, here in Idaho and then we've had um I think the like Elmer Martinez was elected right. and we've had um, Michelle, Stennett. Michelle Stennett identifies as a Hispanic as well. And so we have folks, but we don't have enough and we don't have enough folks who are, are I think, just like willing to name how difficult it is to be that person in office who has this identity who I need to represent everyone. But I really need to talk about like how how hard it is. Like I get 
like when I ran for Congress, it was great. I experienced a lot of racism. You know, I experienced racism anyways, but some of the messages, yeah, it was a totally different level. Like just like the, um, the audacity of the things people had, like that they felt that they could say to me, not just like through Facebook, but like email messages and just like the way that you're portrayed. Like, yeah, I was talking about immigration, but ask me about other issues. Cause like, I have thoughts about all these other things too. Um, and it's just so unfortunate that that's something that we have to deal with. So it's very hard to be um, Latino, Latina, Latinx in office or even in politics. But I think that we still need more of us who are willing to engage in that way. And so and I think we have to have open conversations about you might feel this and that's OK. And mm-hmm. so how do we create not just like we often see recruitment efforts. Where it's like I'm going to recruit you. And then I'm going to leave you to fend for yourself. And I don't think that that's a functional model anymore. I think we have to recruit people and also be like, how do I create a support system for you that will carry you um, through this um, election cycle? Not just the election, but then if you are elected, elected during your time in office, because I would imagine, say, that Senator Martinez becomes mm-hmm. a thing. Not, you're not just representing your district at that point. You're going to be re- representing the Latinx community mm-hmm. because a lot of people are going to be looking at you for answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I th- and that's, I think, we miss that part so much. And it is something that in Idaho we need, but nationally too. I mean, I believe and, you it know, was... Senator Martinez sounds kind of cool. I mean, saying. I didn't say no. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm open, I'm open to it. I'm also trying to, like, you know, find the right time in my life to do it again. Um, Senator Saldana... You know, sounds really good. Senator well, de Leon sounds really good. Just saying. So <laughs> that's true. I do like the sound of that. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, Vermont, I believe, was the state that had um, a black woman resign from her seat because of the amount of racism she was experiencing that's because horrible. she was the only one. Right. Um, look at what the four um, congresswomen are experiencing mm-hmm. right now um, with the president directly attacking them. And so there's been a lot of conversation happening nationally among women of color who are involved in politics and like. How do we support them? How do we let them know that we value that they're there and that we support what they're doing? Even if we don't agree with them being Democrats, even if we don't agree with this party system as it exists, like they're there still. And like we can't only criticize when we don't think they went far enough or because they didn't call out Speaker Pelosi enough or whatever. We have to be able to support them because like it or not, they're a voice for us. And we need to figure out how to work within community to, to support and hold each other accountable, but with love throughout mm-hmm. all of it. Well, and I imagine in that and where they're at, I just can't imagine how they find the time of day to do everything that they do. Yeah. I mean, because it seems like they're working from like sun, sun up to sundown. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they are. And I think that's why it's so important that they know that community still stands with them right mm-hmm. it's so quick we're so quick to judge but when you've never been in that position where every piece of your life is being analyzed um mm-hmm. then you'll never fully understand like the pressure it takes to be in that position like that and the burden too like you mentioned like when you run and you get elected it's not just your district but it's the community mm-hmm. and that's a beautiful thing and it's a huge responsibility and a huge burden too so um, you know, you we have to figure out how to to work through those differences while still supporting one another. And you know, because I think we've had other um, Latino representative at the legislature, like Roy Lacey. A lot of people didn't realize he was Mexican yeah, until yeah. almost towards the end of his yeah. terms. And so, I didn't um, know either until he told me, and I was like, "What?" Yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> and then he's telling me about his mom's tamale recipe, and I'm like, 
oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's curious that he never talked about right. that, right? So I and I wish I'd known that earlier because it right. would have just been a different connection point. Exactly. For yeah. for him to feel supported and for me to feel represented as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think but I would I mean representation matters like we said. Um what's the um how do you um when you decide to run, what are the process? What's the process that somebody has to take to register? Because you mentioned earlier going mm-hmm. to Secretary of State, but say say that Rebecca right now wants to run for City Council mm. or something. What's the first thing she needs to do? Call Jennifer Martinez. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, the very first thing I tell people if they're interested in running is like, have you talked to your family about it? Um, oh, how does your family feel about it? And if you have kids, like. Have you talked to your kids about it? You know, a lot of times we think kids don't understand. But as you mentioned, kids are well aware of everything that's happening and have opinions on everything. So the first thing I say is like, well, have you talked to your family about it? Because if you haven't talked to your family about it, like I'm not going to continue the conversation because you need to have that support at home Mm. before you can even like pursue this further. But if you have that, um, then I would talk to you about I would just go through like all emotions of like, here's what you might experience. Here's what this process is going to look like. Here's what your days might look like. Are you still interested? Because sometimes that scares people. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, you have to go knock on doors like, oh, OK. Like, that's, See, that's where I think I would struggle. Yeah. And, Knocking on doors and that can scary. be scary. And it can also be really cool because like people. Here's the thing. in like heavy Republican districts that have been held Republican for a long time. It's just a given at this point that they're going to go Republican. However, the first time a Democrat knocks on their door, they're like, wow, I've never had anyone knock on my door before. And that already like you might not have won their vote with that, but you already made them think like, why has my Republican senator or my Republican person never knocked on my door before? Um, So it's a really great avenue of just getting people to think differently about who they might support. Um, And we hear that all the time. We're like, no one's knocked on their door and we just gave up on the districts because we don't think we can flip them. And I'm like, yeah, but have you seen the number of Latinos there? Like we can totally flip it. Like (laughs) Jerome, come on out. (laughs) But if Rebecca wanted to run for city council and her she has family support and I've gone through all the different like things you need to know before you run. Um, then we would go ahead and submit an application with the city of Boise or um, you live in Meridian, Meridian. right? So city of Meridian, um, it's just a form you have to fill out. And again, it's a number of signatures or a filing fee, whichever one you want to do. People opt for signatures because it looks a lot better because you actually have voters in your city who are supporting you to run. Um, Plus you look fiscally responsible. Exactly. (laughs) Like I'm not spending, you know, $300. It's not $300 for city council. Um, I don't know what Meridian's is, but it's significantly Mm -hmm. less and still like it looks a lot better to have signatures from people um, who are registered at the right address, who have legible (laughs) signatures, right? You have to make sure all of that is in order. Um, And then from there, for example, right now we have a lot of folks who have filed for the city of Boise to run, but not everyone has necessarily stated which seat they're running for because you don't have to really announce that until um, it's in August, I believe, where like all of the final just pick what seat you want? You Does it matter pick, your, yeah. what neighborhood you're in? No, Boise has an open um, city council map, so mm-hmm. you can run citywide. Um, we don't have zoning or anything like that. Like other, some other cities have that. Um, so if you wanted to run for a, you just have to have an address that is within the city limits. Of or you want to take out the current commit? You can yeah, like, yeah, I'm a run. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have to live in a certain district at all. Um, there are some folks who have pushed for zoning to happen just to make sure we have representation from every part of the city. I don't necessarily have an opinion on that yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I can see both sides of the argument there. Um, and then uh, so if you filed right now, then we'd have to go back and file like which seat specifically you're running for. And then we would be in full on campaign mode. So, you know, we'd have to write a campaign plan up for you of like, 
based on the number of votes who voters who have turned out on past elections and based on projected turnout and expected number of like registrants who are going to register for the first time to vote this year. Um, here's what we think your win number is going to be. And based on other races and your profile, here's what we think your base is going to be. So here's our, our deficit. Here's how many people we think we need to win over to vote for you. But that means we have to like triple it because that's how many people we actually need to try to contact, actually have conversations with. And of the ones we have conversations with, the ones that will actually commit to voting for you. Oh so gosh. it's much bigger than like the win numbers. It's like yeah. all of the other work because some people you'll call and call and call and never get a hold of them. You'll knock and knock and knock and never get a hold of them. So you have to make, you know, account for people you're just never going to talk to. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, as you lead up to the election, it's a lot of um, town hall forums, you know, a lot of the neighborhood associations have meetings where they just invite the candidates to come and community can ask them questions. A lot of um, attending events so you get to know who folks are. I encourage people to go to where the people are. Don't expect them to come to you because mm-hmm. you're trying to win their vote. They're mm-hmm. hiring you. Yeah. Um, you're, you know, like you're not hiring them. So why would you have them come to you? Yeah. Um, and GOTV, get out the vote efforts increase the closer you get to the election too so the one that the supporters you've identified can you get them to vote by absentee ballot can you get them to vote in in person early voting you know like going to city hall or to um the ada county elections office to vote Mm -hmm. early and then you know they're good right like they voted for you already you're good and now they can be your volunteers to get everyone else to go vote (laughs) um you know and then like the day of just reminding everyone to go vote for you so it's like a whole process it's a lot more convoluted than that but like it would just be typically how big are campaign staff and volunteers it varies um city council it was like me as like staff right but then i had amazing what i would call super volunteers um people who were just so committed to getting people like lisa elected that they were dedicating every spare minute of their day and um and their week to doing whatever they could to help her get elected um so that was like a small level, like on the vote no campaign, we had a campaign manager and four, three field organizers and like a communications director. Um, when I ran for Congress, it was just me because I couldn't raise, I didn't raise enough money to hire anyone, but that's okay because I still got around the same uh, vote percentage. You should have hired me to plan your wedding. Oh my god, I, I would have exceeded. I would have loved, if I'd known <laughs> when I do, when I renew my vows, I'll call you. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it also depends on how much money they have and yeah. how much money they're willing to invest. Some campaigns have hired 10 people. Some campaigns run on two people. It really just depends um, on the level of race you're running and how much money you think you can actually raise um, which is really disgusting that you have to it's rely so much of that on the money. Um, like, I hate it. And it's like a reality of like the political world we're in right now, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But okay, like, so I'm already planning Rebecca's election night party. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> this is not any kind of announcement. <laughs> this is not what we're doing here today. <laughs> We're doing it for JJ, right? <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yes. You can plan my party. I'll plan your I'll plan your wedding while you run your campaign. All right. All right. Sounds good. So I need to find somebody to marry me. How we support community. Yeah. <laughs> She'll be my madrina. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. So Jen, um, it, you know it. That's a little overwhelming, actually. Everything that you just described, it's really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And if I were a Latina person living in Meridian, for example, hypothetically, mm-hmm. I would be like, oh my gosh, that's a lot. I mm-hmm. don't know if I can do that. And I think that kind of goes back to maybe that imposter syndrome that mm-hmm. we all have. So what do you think that we can do as a Latinx community to get more Latinx people 
to consider running for any any like school position. boards, city council. Yeah. I mean, they have a I lot of power. I would love to see more school boards representative of the community. Definitely. Especially in places, like I'm sure you've seen, right, where like the majority student population is Latinos. And, and like they have no Latinx pop, uh, representation on school boards. at all. You're like, what is happening here? I've been to some yeah, here in sad. Idaho where there's no female representation mm-hmm. at all either. And it's like, wow. You're like, how is this even possible right. still, right? And it's because... We don't have the focus on the lower level races, which is honestly where a lot of our focus should be, because that's literally where we're creating the farm team of like potential future candidates for state legislature and for state constitutional offices and federal offices. But like for some reason, we're just like not there yet. Um, and we're also focused not in all the areas, right? Like some of these places could be really, really ripe for getting turned over and flipped. But because the data doesn't show it. There's no investment, but like lived mm-hmm. experience tells mm-hmm. us like, no, like it's there, it's ready. Um, but back to your question about how do you overcome that imposter syndrome? Or what can we do to support someone who maybe is like, I don't know if I can do this. Mm-hmm. I think um, us turning out to vote is huge. You know, we have um, I can't remember all the numbers off the top of my head. I was going to research it before I came in and I didn't. Um, I was riding my scooter because I was late. Um, <laughs> but you looked great with the yellow. You dress well. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, did you get a picture? No. Probably <laughs> her next campaign yeah. photo. Yeah. <laughs> Running late everywhere. Yeah. No. Um, I think we turning out to vote. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of folks focus on we got to register people to vote we got to register people to vote and i'm like well we have a decent number of latinos registered to vote the issue is turnout Mm. um we don't have enough latinos who actually turn out to go vote and i think that's for a variety of reasons Uh, a lot of the reasons i've heard is fear especially in the climate that we're in right now it's like do i really want to show up somewhere where my name's on a list and like you know Mm -hmm. maybe i have some family that is not necessarily the same legal status that i am Mm -hmm. um i don't want them to find out um, the other is like language accessibility. Like I've never voted before. I don't speak English well. I um, maybe am a little bit ashamed of my accent. You know, we know that this is a thing. And right. so I'm not going to go in and vote. Like my mom always calls me, you know, to ask me questions because she's worried about like going in, you know, and not being able to ask anyone questions. And so language accessibility is huge. But the more of us that we can turn out to go vote, then the more it signals to our community like, oh, OK, well, at least I'll have community support if I go in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think rallying around our people who decide to run, um, as long as they're like, have our values in mind, right? Like right. you can have someone run who still doesn't have your same values right. um, as you. But if we have a, a Latinx or a POC candidate uh, who is willing to run and is out there and is asking for our support in whatever way we can give it, whether it's um, our bodies by volunteering to go door knock or um, phone calling if we can, or dropping off literature somewhere, you know, like those mailers that you see um, mm-hmm. that get really annoying, but like kind of work. And that's why they <laughs> use them. Um, or even like, I'm going to make like, I'm going to make y'all some food, you know, oh. like when you're on a campaign and you, you eat like crap, you know, like you oh. eat fast food a lot or you don't eat or, or you live like on chips, coffee. Like the ones that I've that seen, it's sense. like, yeah, coffee is a big thing. Yeah. And then just people just dropping off chips and basically like peanuts and kind of stuff like that like yeah. very snacky foods and that's what you well i've volunteered for a couple campaigns oh, and so i've okay. seen like wow like and my volunteer wasn't like as extensive by any means like jennifer's at all mine was like okay i'll be your party coordinator but so <laughs> but i but walking into the campaigns i remember seeing like 
that's what people would just drop off to help mm-hmm. them out would be like popcorn, chips and cookies. Nothing. So yeah. it's not like a healthy thing. Not and and oh. the people working those campaigns really are there from like 6, 7 a.m. to like midnight every day. Wow. And yeah. so it's a lot of coffee. It's super unhealthy. Right. Um, it's so bad. <laughs> um, and I remember um, in Spokane when I, because I was working for, you know, the senator, but I, in my volunteer time, I was going and like working out of the, the campaign office to make phone calls and do what I could. Because it's also job security for me, right? <laughs> she needed to get reelected to keep my job. <laughs> um, but um, there was a, a food train that we kind of had. And so like these amazing like elderly couples who could not do anything else would bring us like full on dinners every night, oh, wow. like full on, like just bring in trays of food nice. and it was real food. Like it wasn't processed. And that was <sighs> literally like one of the best things that we could have gotten. So even if all you can do is like, I'm going to make y'all some mole and some tortillas Ooh. and some arroz, like, Oh my gosh, please. Because that is sustenance. And that mm-hmm. is like community showing up for you in the realest way. Right? Like I can't, Maybe I don't feel comfortable doing this stuff for you, but I'm feeding you. And that is love. And like that, even if community did that type of stuff, like that would be amazing. Right. Um, So like it's it's even in the small things. And that's not small. I think that's a huge thing because campaigns are super unhealthy. Uh. There needs to be a lot more talk about self-care within (laughs) that. Something I wish that we would do more. Um, But yeah, that would be. I think something that would signal like, okay, my community is showing up for this person. Like they'll, they'll show up for me. Right. Like. As long as I have the same values as them. Yeah. So, and I see that some media outlets during like campaign season put out like a special edition of this is where they, all the candidates stand on these issues mm-hmm. and it's great. And I've talked to a couple media outlets about what if you translated those into Spanish mm-hmm. and they seem interested, but the cost is what's holding them back. Yeah. And so I wish that there was somebody who could, that was really good at translating, but could take the time to do it because I know it's time consuming and yeah but and I know that the, the people doing it it's worth you know what they're the money but yeah. if there's no money for it then but I would love to see that yeah I think we could um I think if enough people pool their money together they could pay someone to translate all of the material um and that's been a big goal of mine is like how do we get more Latinos to vote and a successful study I've seen come out of Texas has been um encouraging folks to do absentee voting um so they request the mail-in ballot and then they have like dinners every week um at a community center or somewhere and they'll come with their ballots and people will tell them where all the candidates stand on the issues not good or bad they'll just be like here's the issue here's where they stand here's how you fill in your ballot they teach them how to do it and then they vote however they want and then um the people will mail in their ballot or put the stamp on it for them and drop it in the mail And it was successful, like it increased turnout a lot. And it's something I wish that I'd had, I've ha- I would like, I would love to have time to do something like that. Yeah. Um, but if anyone wanted to take that on, I'm here to support you however I can. <laughs> so um, yeah, but that's something that still sits with me every day on a, a really meaningful way, right? And that's somewhere that people could bring food and the community and have kids there. And then the kids are seeing their parents vote. So mm-hmm. it just creates that next generation of voters. Right. So it's like a long-term, a long-term kind of strategy and solution. That makes sense. Well, um, before we before we go, Jennifer, um, you know, I think you've given us a lot of tips, and especially like, yeah, a lot of your expertise. Obviously, you are really, really good at this. So um, before we leave, do you want to let the Latinx community here know um, if we want to become more civically engaged or if we're thinking of running for any kind of office, um, 
what what do you think we should do first? Who do we reach out to first? Oh man. <laughs> well, uh, I'll put myself out there um, because I feel like it's not fair of me to ask people to do things if I'm not willing to help guide them through the process. I've had amazing mentors who brought me into the fold and who have continued to give me advice and feedback and guidance. So I I'll do that for communities. So. Um, you know, I will give you my like my Twitter handle. It's at Jen, J-E-N-N, the letter C, and then Martinez, M-A-R-T-I-N-E-Z. And you can like DM me there and I will get back to you and we'll connect via coffee or whatever. Um, and I can just direct you whatever direction you're going. Even if you think you're more conservative, I can at least tell you who to reach out to um, on the other side. You know, mm-hmm. I think everyone should be civically engaged. She I'm helps gonna, everyone. I help everyone. Um, I might not agree with your values, but if you want to get <laughs> engaged, I'll help you get engaged. Um, That's awesome. And then I think that um, reach out to the political parties. Um, mm-hmm. But also, like, if there's no response there, please feel free to reach out to me. And I'm happy to <laughs> um, do some follow up there. And also, there's some great national projects. Um, like Latino Vote is a national one. They're oh, really right. engaged. Um, they're super engaged with the presidential campaigns right now, but they're a good resource to get started with because mm-hmm. they understand the nuance of being Latino in, in the United States and trying to get involved and turning out people to vote. Um, and I think there's some amazing folks here doing some work too, like Antonio, right? He's doing a lot of voter mm-hmm. registration work. So I would connect folks to him too. Nice. Um, ACLU has some great folks like Ruby, Kathy, Leo, all who do a lot of voter registration work as well. Um, mm-hmm. so uh, Jennifer, I would really like to thank you for, for coming here. I mean, yeah, you taught us so much. Yeah. I've, I've learned so much and I'm like, I feel jazz. Like I feel like I need to get out there and register a thousand people to vote. And get them to the polls. And I need to get them all to consider running. And I need to do all of these things. Like, I'm really pumped. It's, like, contagious, I think. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) Good, good. So, um, thank you for listening. Thank you, Jennifer, for coming. Um, If you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at the Latino card on Twitter and you can follow each of us. Uh, JJ, Ash and I are all very active on Twitter and so is Jen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can. If you don't use Twitter, you can email us at latinocardidaho at gmail.com. Even if you're confused, if you want to pose a question to Jen and you can't use Twitter for whatever reason, you can email us and we'll connect you. Or if you have you. any questions to, about just our community, if you have Mm -hmm. suggestions about a certain topic feel free to contact us Mm -hmm. and as always you can slide into our dms um keep it (laughs) g-rated poor favor (laughs) and we uh, thank you all for listening and we'll catch you at the next podcast hasta luego Bye. bye